Hello, my magnificent and inquisitive tribe, and welcome to Rewoke, Rewriting Our Kids Education Podcast. My name is Michelle Person, and we are on a journey to change the face of education. We are rethinking, re-examining, and re-educating ourselves and our children. This week, we will be exploring the topsy-turvy world of special education. Special education, two of the dirtiest words in the public education system. We've all heard the jokes about the little yellow school bus, the classrooms in the basements of the school, the classrooms with the extra teachers. In my experience, people tend to laugh and poke fun at what they don't understand. And if there is any topic in education less understood than cultural diversity and responsiveness, it's special education. No one understands what it is, how you qualify, or what happens once you enter. And we should all know because 80% of all special education students are black and Hispanic males. There are instances where special education services are warranted. And in those cases, parents should be familiar with the terminology and the processes that make up the special education landscape. Our guest today, Lisa Adams, is a former special education teacher, a former building principal, and currently the owner of LA Education Consulting. I saw a quote about special education and preparing for this episode that I love. In special education, hard work, persistence, and competence prove a label is only a means of receiving the tools and resources needed to reach maximum results. I wish everyone looked at special education like that. And oh yeah, are you woke? Experience, people tend to find themselves on two very different ends of the special education continuum. Either a label is being pushed on a parent by a school or a teacher, or a school or a student is in need of services and not being adequately served. Either way, the parent is overwhelmed and the student isn't getting what they need. So what is special education? How do you qualify? When should you request an evaluation? And when should you push back when one is suggested? My guest today is going to help us make sense of the labyrinth that is special education and hopefully shed some light on this complicated process. Lisa Adams, thank you so much for joining us today. We are happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, I hope today that you are able to drop some nuggets on our parents about special education. It is by far one of the most misunderstood, um, and, and I think purposely by the powers that be overly complicated um, aspects of public education. And it does not have to be, but it, they make it so hard. So hopefully today you can, um, you can explain to our parents and even some newbie teachers maybe who might be listening about, you know, what special education is, what it's not, um, and the, the, the goals of it. What is it supposed to do for our kids? Well, before we dive into special education, what it is, what it's not, and what we want people to know about it, let's tell the people a little bit about you. What's your background? 
Well, my background is I have over 15 years of experience as an educator. I started off as a substitute teacher and realized that working with students was my calling and passion. I went back to school and became a special ed teacher or licensed intervention specialist. And that role expanded to me then going back to school to get my master's in education to become a school administrator. So um, I've worked in various schools from suburban to urban. I've worked in charter schools and public schools, just to get a different feel. It's so different when we work in different environments, but the need is still the same. So just having a passion for working with students and being their advocate and their support is very, very important as well as helping other professionals. So I'm going to actually start by asking the first question, which is what are three things you wish regular folk knew about special education? Um, three things that I think it's really important that non-educators and parents and even new educators, as you reference, know about special ed is that every student doesn't qualify. Um, special ed is a, a way to help students learn. It's a service. It's not a place. And students who do qualify for special education services are not limited and they should not be excluded. Every. I, I just everything like the the mindset that special education is a service and not a place. So often teachers, act, teachers who have been teaching for years, they purposely will get or try to place a kid in special education for the for the purpose of, oh, well, that's not my kid anymore. I don't have to serve them. They should go to the special education room. That is not what special education is. You not And not every kid qualifies because not every issue that a child has means that a child has a disability. I need parents and uh, uh, teachers and non-educators to understand that when you're saying that someone qualifies for special ed, what you are saying is someone has a, a quantifiable disability that makes it difficult or harder for them to perform successfully unaided in the classroom next to their peers. Um, and some issues are not at the level of meaning it's a disability. Could just be, you know, needing extra assistance, um, you know, extra time to process, or maybe you just need your notes taken in a different way. Needing something different does not mean you have a disability. Needing something different does not mean you have to be placed in special ed. And even if you do have a cognitive issue that requires you to get more services, it is just that. It is a service, not a placement. I thank you so much for saying that. Um, and in line with that, um, accommodations and modifications are the two things that many students receive. Modifications should only come after accommodations have been met. And when we think of accommodations, you just hit a few of them as far as how students learn. Everybody has a learning modality. You might be an audio learner. Someone else might be a visual learner. So when the teacher presents something, they have to address both modalities. I had to tell people all the time when it comes to learning modalities, I have to see something. You mm -hmm. can tell it to me, but I have to see it to be able to process it. So teachers have to provide accommodations according to how students learn. And that's really important. And sometimes when teachers figure out that they have to do things differently. Some of them make the adjustment, but sometimes when that adjustment is more than they may want to or feel comfortable doing, that's when special ed gets brought into the picture. Um, as an administrator and as a teacher, I've heard people say, well, you know, you've been trained in special ed. When 
I went to school, we didn't get trained on differentiation. That came with regular pedagogy from being in the classroom. We did not get trained or have classes on teaching students this way versus that way. Some things you get through experience and we can't push everything off to special ed because a lot of students don't qualify. I think that that's a very important point. Like it's not just about making a student a part of special ed because their issue might not be a special ed issue. Um, especially if all they really need is a, um, a, a accommodation in the classroom to make them successful. I think sometimes people do not understand the difference between those two terms, accommodation mm-hmm. and modification. So can you explain a little bit what you mean when you say like, it, you might have trouble with something, but all you might need is an accommodation that your regular teacher can provide for you. Mm-hmm. That means that you don't need to be put into the special education category um, and the difference between that and an actual modification. So an accommodation is what a teacher or an educator, because sometimes you have aides and paras, that's what that person does in order to allow you to access the curriculum. What are they doing to allow you to understand that two plus two is four? So that might mean for math, you need, again, visual learner, you might need manipulatives. And if you think back to when we were in school, we had manipulatives. We had to do everything in multiple forms. Um, So accommodations provide you with the tool to access the curriculum. It's the how. Modifications should only come after all accommodations are done because modifications now take the two plus two equals four and it breaks it down and it changes it as far as what the student is required to know. You're modifying what that student has to do, which means you're modifying potentially the curriculum. So you want to be very careful with modifications versus accommodations. Um, a, a, A modification is also what's being taught. So accommodations are how they're assessing the curriculum and a modification is um, what they are assessing. And that's where the extended standards come in. When we're speaking of students that have a very low functionality in certain areas, curriculum rise, reading or math, extended standards breaks down the curriculum. It breaks down what is being taught at that specific time. Students eventually get to the whole standard but the modification would break that down. And again, we have to be very, very careful with modifications because if you've never accommodated them, how can you modify them? Mm -hmm. Now, my question is, do you think that black and brown kids are overrepresented in special education? And why do you think that happens? Well, that question is, is a great question, but it depends on your school dynamics. It depends on the demographics and the school district. So an education coming from an urban, um, highly populated brown and black community, you will see more students that are brown and black that are identified as special ed or having a need for special ed services. But again, that's a demographic-based question because we could go to a suburban area where the population of black and brown students is low and then your special ed higher. But speaking from my experience in working in an urban school setting with the predominant black and brown population, a lot of our students are identified. But as you touched upon initially, students are identified for the wrong reasons. So when you have a few things that you've done behaviorally or you didn't do good on the test, um, then you're automatically, oh my God, he got a 40% on the test two times. 
he might need services. There are some specific things that have to be done in the RTI um, process, which is the process that we take data and collect it to see if a student even qualifies. That information is very important because it asks you, what is the student doing? What did you do? How did you do it? And how did you change things to meet the student's needs? So before a student can even be identified, there's a protocol that has to be followed, and it's very in-depth, very thorough as far as to what are the educators do to help it, help the student. Um, so that's important that we look at that. And sometimes, unfortunately, our students don't get all of that. And um, I know you and I both worked in a large urban education uh, a, a district, and um, I know that part of my frustration as a building principal is, the like you said, not following that RTI, and RTI means response to intervention, but not following that RTI process thoroughly. So the teacher is, is kind of responsible on a lot of levels for collecting this data and tracking these interventions and these accommodations that they're trying to give them and, try, and, and sitting in on these meetings and watching teachers try to honestly push through a kid who might not need services, what they need is a change in how the information is presented, which again, falls back on the regular education teacher, which is now, in our teacher's defense, love my teachers. They are overworked, underpaid, highly stressed, and, you know, and, and too many kids in the classroom in a lot of cases. So they're trying to you know, juggle a ton of balls. So while I can totally empathize with our regular education teachers who have these ridiculously large class sizes and all these standards that they have to cover, and they're frustrated. So they are like, you know what? I don't have time to do these accommodations. I just need to see if this student can qualify for services and get the help someplace else. But I need parents, I need for you to recognize that when you're sitting in those meetings um, and, and they're trying to say to you that your child, you know, that your child that needs these services you should be asking these types of questions. You should be asking, well, what interventions did you put in place? How long did you put the interventions in place for? What improvements did you see after the interventions? Are you going to try any other interventions? And th those are questions that I think parents need to come armed with when they're sitting in these meetings in order to, in order to advocate effectively for their students. Um, for parents, each state in Ohio, it's called the procedural safeguards. It breaks down everything there is to know in regards to a student being identified as having a disability. It breaks down the process of what should happen, who should do what, who is a part of the IEP team. Um, it talks about what happens when students are um, disciplined within the schools. It's a very, very important read. I know as an intervention specialist and as an administrator, we had to give that out for every single meeting. Irregardless, every year the parents got them and sometimes parents are like, oh, no, I got it. But last year, last time, take it, take it and read it. They do update it from time to time, but that's very important to understand your rights. Parents are a very important part of the IEP team. And that's something to me that has been missed for a very long time is that it's a lot of professionals to get together, create this document and then give it to the parent. That's not how the process works. Parents are supposed to be a part of the team. So just like we collect data in school, and even though we're talking about the school environment, there's data from home that we have to collect and understand. Um, so there's some dynamics that the parent, only the parent can provide input on that it can't be guessed. It can't be supplemented. 
parents are important and they are a required member of the IEP team. Without them, the student can't have an IEP, regardless of what anyone says. So parents have to understand their rights and know that many things when it comes to their child's education, when it, especially with special ed, it, without them, it can't happen. So can you break down for our parents and our listeners, what is an IEP, an Individual Educationalized Program, and how does a student qualify for one? But then also, we've been spending a lot of time talking about districts that want to push them on their kids. I've also been in districts where, because of the type of district it is, they don't want to see too many kids qualify for an IEP. So a parent might be saying, no, I really think that my kid needs this extra service, this extra assistance, this, this modification. And the district is saying, no, we, we don't do that here for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the placement that they might need might be something that district does not offer. And it's going to cost them a lot of money. Um, sometimes they weren't there trying to keep their numbers down for whatever their reasons. But we need to understand um, what an IEP actually is. How do you qualify for one? And as a parent, how do you navigate, you know, and advocate for your child if you believe that that's best? So as you stated, an IEP is an individualized education program. Some people also call it an individual edu- individualized education plan. Um, it is a document that outlines a student's area of strength, an area of weakness, and how those areas of weaknesses or need will be addressed. But before the student has an IEP, there is a document called the ETR, an evaluative team report. That specific document is something that is a a battery of of assessments. Um, The school psychologist or a psychiatrist or psychologist outside of the school can administer the assessments. These assessments are behavioral Um, social behavioral assessments. Some of them are knowledge-based assessments that really dive into what the student does and doesn't know and where the deficit in their learning may be. In order to qualify for an IEP, the RTI process has to have been completed and it's been identified through that process that this student might need more structured, individualized assistance. Once the psychologist and or psychiatrist does the assessments, then the team comes together and they meet to go over the results of those assessments. And as a team, parents included, the decision is made as to whether or not the student qualifies for special ed services. Mm-hmm. Once that determination is made, then the IEP is created and the team comes back together to go over the IEP, which should not be a copy and paste of the ETR. You shouldn't see everything that the psychologist said dumped into the IEP. This is an individualized plan that's saying for this school year, this is what this child isn't doing. This is what they should be doing. And this is how we're going to get them to where they should be doing. Um, So it's very important that those steps are taken. But the parent has to be a part of every single process. They cannot begin a meeting. They cannot have um, a student cannot have an IEP without a parent's signature. It's very, very specific. And again, parents cannot be excluded from the team as well as regular education teachers. Sometimes they're excluded to the side a little bit as well. It's not a one man show. And you did make a good point about some districts do not service. Um, There are some schools, some type of schools, um, a lot of times that do not 
accept students with IEPs or they accept them, but they can't accommodate the IEP. That's a decision that a parent has to make. Do I want my child to go to their school knowing that they have an IEP, but they won't receive servicing because the school doesn't have it? When we talk about numbers, some schools want to keep the number of students with a disability at a low. Um, it's not a bad thing, but it's something that cannot be helped by a number. If a student qualifies and needs services, they need to receive the services. Some schools are equipped to have support enough for each student that maybe they don't need an IEP and they're going to get that intense accommodation within the classroom setting. So some school districts operate differently, um, but again, it should never, ever be told to a parent that we don't accommodate special ed or no, your child doesn't qualify because our numbers are too high. Correct. That should never, ever happen. Those are lost of words. Just so you know. <laughs> yes. <Those> are <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Um, and parents can be advocates for their students and their children by communicating. When you get the report cards, when you get the progress reports, when it's open house time, when it's parent teacher conference, you have to be a part of every step of the educational process. It's very, very important that you know and understand um, what a grade means. Why did this student not do good on this? What was done to help this student? Is there tutoring after school or on the weekends? Do they have Saturday school? These are questions that parents have to ask sometimes when they're not seeing the answer. And a lot now with technology, you have Schoolology. You have different platforms that parents can monitor what's going on with their student, the teachers, and how the student is doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So parents, number one, have to be involved. You mentioned earlier the resource for parents to know exactly what the process is. And we'll put a link to, um, to, that, to that resource in, in the description. Um, but do you have any other resources or uh, places where parents can go to find out more about the um, special education process, to find out more about how to become a better advocate? Um, any suggestions that you have? Well, again, here in Ohio, we do, if you Google um, special ed, ODE, and for many states, when you Google special ed and whatever your school district is or your state, it'll bring up the manual for the um, special ed, say, uh, special ed program and how it works because each state um, operates different. Most of them mirror each other because it's federal law and rules that regulate this special ed process, but some states have some specific interpretations of the federal law. So that's why I say check with each state. But again, you can Google the um, special ed for any department of education or for any school district, and you will get that manual. I've looked at a few across the country, and I mean, they really, really do a good job breaking it down for the parents and making sure that they understand. But also, any documentation should be given to the parents once the RTI process begins. Parents need to know that a child is being looked upon to collect data to see if they qualify for special education. When the team meets to say that we're going to do the RTI process, that parents should be getting that paperwork or that document manual to say this is what is going on because the documentation also explains the RTI process. So this shouldn't be something that happens after the child's been evaluated and the IEP is written, no. As soon as the teams at school suspects a disability or sees that there's a deficit, they should be meeting with the parent already. You cannot give that parent that meeting, uh, that RTI result and say, hey, your child qualifies. 
that child, that parent should have known when you first suspected corrupt. Um, and, and that right there is a point of contention that happens a lot. Uh, where the parents are excluded and the professionals that we are sometimes just go to the parent and tell them what it is. That's not how it works. And that's not how it should ever, ever be. Where can the listeners reach out if they have more questions about, um, about special education um, services? So reaching out to me personally would be at LA Educational Consulting at gmail.com and our website is laeducationalconsulting.com. We do answer questions within a 24-hour range, but we're here to provide support for educators and administrators to help them better understand the process in special ed and in education in totality. And you know, being an administrator, there is so much that we don't know that we're held accountable for that you you got to figure it out. So we try to add that piece to be able to provide support to the people who have to support the biggest Uh, load of all. And those are our students. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for being here with us today and talking to us about all of this information. Um, You've been invaluable and hopefully you've helped somebody break down and demystify um, the special education process. Special education is a service, not a placement. If there is one idea that I hope you took away from today's show, it's that. It's a service that helps children reach their full potential. It should not be exclusionary or limiting. On the contrary, students receiving the service should feel confident and be empowered. I want to thank my guest, Lisa, for taking the time to speak with us today. Show notes, resources, and links to the things we mentioned are available on our website at www.justlikemepresents.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and share this podcast with other parents and educators in your circle. And if you wouldn't mind, leave us a review. It will help other people find the show and start their woke journey. Thanks for listening. And remember, if our children can see it, they can achieve it. Parents, are you frustrated with traditional education? I was. Educators, are you struggling to find inclusive academic content that represents your students? I know the feeling. That is why I created Just Like Me Presents. Just Like Me Presents is a multimedia production and development company that stresses the importance of literacy, culturally relevant teaching materials, and active learning experiences. Check out our culturally responsive books and supplemental curriculums on our website, www.justlikemepresents.com. In the Just Like Me book and JLM pick sections, Your child will be amazed at how many books they can choose from where the characters look like them. They've never had math explained the way we do with Remember Through Rhyme, and I can guarantee the history we share with Meanwhile in Africa isn't taught in any traditional public school. Let us help you get the tools you need to rewrite your child's education and set them on a path to success. If you have a child in kindergarten through fifth grade, trust me, you'll want to check us out. Our programs help students develop a strong sense of self, affirm their identities, and encourage critical thinking and entrepreneurial skills. Head on over to the website now at www.justlikemepresents.com and help empower your child to become the best version of themselves. And remember, if our children can see it, they can achieve it.